Welcome to Lighthouse Chapel International, Columbus, Ohio. We invite you to discover the life-changing anointed Word of God as you listen to this message by Reverend Gilbert Asamoah. Reverend Gilbert Asamoah is a well-seasoned minister who serves as the General Overseer of the Raccoon Diocese in Lighthouse Chapel International, USA. Founded by Bishop Dag Heward Mills with over 1,800 branches worldwide. Join us for a life-changing experience as you listen to this message.
want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set up fire now in my soul. That I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set up fire. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't that I can't. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't take, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't take, that I can't control. I want more of you. I want more of you, God. We want more. Yes, we want more. 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 We want more.
lives be acceptable unto you, O oh God. We come as we are, Father. We come as we are. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Oh, are you excited for the word? Amen. Are you excited for more of the teaching? Amen. Come on, someone. Put your hands together. That's welcome. Reverend Gilbert Asamoah. Amen. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for your love, for your constant assurances of your love, which, which is what our soul feeds on and keeps us with strength. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would inspire us by the last of the people that walked before us, that died in faith, even as we develop our staying power in the name of Jesus. Amen. We thank the Lord. We've been studying from Bishop's book Backsliding and also called Developing Your Staying Power. And um, for the past few weeks we endeavored to dissect the whole theme of backsliding and developed a schematic or a, a list of things from where you could measure whether you have backslidden or not. Amen. Alright, so let's go down that real quick for revision. So, what is the level or position that somebody can backslide from? Or what are we supposed to be? What standard are we supposed to measure ourselves with? that we should guard against and not backslide from. Number one, to abide in Christ or to remain a believer. Hallelujah. What is number two? To live right for Christ. Hallelujah. And then number three, to withstand doubters, sinners, and opposers. One, one way of measuring backsliding is that if you meet doubters and sinners and opposers, and you don't have any defense when they are speaking and criticizing the faith. You just seem silent or you kind of go along with it. It's a type of backsliding. Because you, you, all of us must be like firebrands for God. Hallelujah. And be willing to defend the faith. Okay. Number four. To remain in soul winning and establishing them in Christ. Hallelujah. Wonderful. And number five, we added sharing the sufferings of Christ. Amen. Now, after this, we started hearing stories of people who died as sinners. Is that not so? And what were their last words? So which one was your favorite? Which one? Tom Payne. Why, why was that your favorite? Yeah, in the end. Many of them, as they are dying, you know, one guy, for instance, I forget his name, he said that if I say there's no God, it will be a, a big mistake or something like that. Ingersoll. If I have a soul. So, so, so even as he was dying, he was shifting between two opinions. I mean, if, 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 if you are smart, right, what do you have to lose at that moment that you are dying? Why don't you just say, Lord, forgive me? And if you die and there's nothing there, 
What do you have to lose? But he still has to bring his agnostic self. You know, agnostic are people who say they don't know whether there is a God or not. Atheists say they are very sure there is no God. But agnostic are saying they are, they are not sure. So that guy, I believe he was an agnostic. Amen. But he was a very foolish agnostic. <laughs> you are about to die. And you are saying... And then another guy, people around him try to, try to bring somebody to pray for him or to lead him to Christ or to... Then he said, you, 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 you torturous and tormentous. Because he felt like there was no hope for salvation. And even to mention the prospect of somebody praying for him and potentially going to heaven, he felt that was torture. Like, to bring that up was torture. Amen. So, you know, people cross a certain line after which it becomes very difficult. Let's look at this scripture as we wind down on this topic. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. Second Corinthians 5, 9 to 11. Okay, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Okay? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So hold, hold on there in verse 10. So you realize that the, what we are talking about is in this present state where we are in the body. Do you get it? We don't believe there are some churches which believe that after you die, there's a means to make amends in the land of the dead. Have you heard of that? There are some churches that believe that there's a place called purgatory where some of your sins can continue to be purged over there. And as a matter of fact, the living, your living friends and relatives can continue praying for you so that your time in purgatory can be shortened. Amen. And you better have some good friends to, to pray for you. Because they say that some can be there for 1,000 years. But if people are praying for you, it can be shortened to maybe 200 years or something like that. Amen. We don't believe that because the scripture says, if you were to read a few verses before that, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it happens instantaneously. But here it says that, oh, did you show that verse? Okay, go back. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, no, I think it is the, the one before. No, no, what I mean is like, yeah, we are confident, yes, we are well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, move to 10 now. So the apostle in this Second Corinthians 5, he is developing a thesis. He is developing his argument about what happens in the afterlife. And he says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, we believe this this verse applies to Christians. It applies to believers. When an unbeliever dies, they don't appear before the judgment seat of Christ just yet. But believers, when we die, we appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The unbelievers, their judgment is later in the great white throne judgment. Hallelujah. But here, when a believer dies, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive things done in the body. So, Everything that you're going to be judged on is things you do in the body, not in your soul, in your spirit, in the land of the dead. If you have anything good to do, do it now. Amen. Okay. Next verse. Now, this is the verse that uh, I wanted us to read as we close out 
the faith of sinners. Because as you talk about backsliding, you are talking about somebody who was in a good state in the Lord and then they backslid and fell into the world and died as a sinner. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the, of the Lord. So most of the time we don't hear about the Lord being a terror. We know, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. So our whole, our whole argument and why we have dragged and talked a lot is because there's something called the terror of the Lord, which believers joke with. Hallelujah. Because the message on Baslade is not addressed to unbelievers. It's addressed to believers. People who do not cherish the salvation that they have received or who belittle the price that was paid for them or who think that maybe there's no difference between you know believers, Christian believers and unbelievers. In fact, re- recently I heard there's something called Chrislam. Chrislam is somebody has coined the term Chrislam, which is like Christianity and Islam have merged into one. And they say that all of us believe in Abraham as the great father of faith. All of us believe in Jesus as a prophet. Amen. But probably that's about it. The rest is a world of a difference like day and night. You really cannot compare Christianity with Islam. Amen. I mean, of course, if you look at the three Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, we have that as a common joint of all of us know, believing in God, the God of creation, um, Abraham and all that. But one of the fundamental differences between Islam and Christianity is that Islam does not acknowledge that Jesus was the son of God. You get it. That is a major departing point. Jesus was crucified for that reason. Do you get it? He said, are you the son of God? He said, I am. Or some place he said, you say that I am. And so, and so, um, and then, and then you become a Christian, you become a believer by believing that he is the son of God. So, if somebody doesn't believe that he is the son of God, the, the Muslims actually say that God cannot have a son. And some Muslims actually get angry. We went for outreach one day, the guy almost got angry. And I told somebody, I said, let's go, because before he beats us up, <laughs> amen. So, that's a major point of departure. But then, um, you can have a group of Christians who think that, oh, after all, we are all teaching morals, like don't hurt somebody, don't steal somebody. Islam also teaches that. Christianity is not merely a religion of morals and teaching of morals. All these morals existed before Christ came. If it was just a question of morals, people could just go and read Isaiah or read the Mosaic law. Is that not so? The fundamental thing is that Christianity seeks to change a person from within. Like, you are born again from your spirit man within you gives birth to a new creation which did not exist before. No other religion promises that. And then Christianity also establishes a relationship between you and your creator. No religion gives you access to your creator whereby you have confidence to speak to God. People in other religions, there is a fear about it. You get it. There is a fear in terms of, you know, you can't have, that Islam doesn't have the concept of God as father. Like, you call God your father. Who are you? But in Christianity, we believe that Christ taught us and introduced God as the Father. Hallelujah. So let's look at these scriptures. And then today we will also hear the stories of people who died in the faith. And how, what were their last words. Because we've been standing about the sinners and how they died. But we don't want to be like them. So we have to look at some good examples of what to be and how to die. 
Amen. Okay. So, um, four witnesses. I'm going to read four scriptures which are called four witnesses. First Peter 1, 3 to 5. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. All these are pointing to the glorious hope that the believer has. The living hope that the believer has. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. To begotten means to give birth. To, has given birth to us again or born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. So this is a message to believers that this is what has happened to us. That he's saying, thanks be to God for giving birth to us again. To what? Not to a false hope. Not to a dead hope. But to a living hope. Next verse. To an inheritance incorruptible. So this is the experience of the believer. This is the promise to the believer. That you have an inheritance that is incorruptible. You can have an inheritance that is corruptible. Like it can easily fade away. Amen. You can have a car that has little scratch on the car, a brand new car, the value plunges like that. Everything else, everything else is a corruptible substance and does not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you. Amen. When you speak to most people in other religions, nobody can have an assurance of whether, of, of uh, what will happen to them when they die. Only in Christianity do we have the assurance that we, we can we can be at peace with God. Amen. Some uh, religions in the in the uh, Asia, the the religions that believe in reincarnation. You see, one of the things about the reincarnation is that, and I will not say I'm an expert in that, but what I know is that one of the reasons why people need to keep coming back, because reincarnation means that when you die, you are reborn, but you are not guaranteed that you are reborn as a man. You can be reborn as a donkey. You can be reborn. You can be of a, a higher social class in society, but you can be reborn into a lower social class. Why do they need to keep rebirth, reborn, so that you can amend for your sins, make amends for your sins, so that all these lifetimes, lifetimes that you are being born and recycled in the system, it is to give you more time and you come back. And if your sins are a lot, when you are reborn, you can become a, 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 a mouse or a, a lizard or something like that. One man of God, he, he said he came from an Indian uh, Hindi family. He was an Indian uh, man of God. But before he became a believer, he, his family was Hindu. And his father is the Hindu priest. And they, he comes from a long line of Hindu priests. And he himself was going to become one. And then one day he got born again. And he said one of the first things that he started praying to God about was to save him from the cycle of um, reincarnation. Going and coming and going and coming. That if Christ has saved me, he said, Christ, if you have saved me, then take me, if I die, take me, that, I mean, make it, make it quick for me. Because I cannot keep going and coming. Do you get it? <laughs> because what if, what if you are a, a, a little bug and somebody steps on you and then you die again? I mean, it's a very dangerous, dangerous way to live. But in Christianity, we, we believe that, you know, I believe in First Corinthians 9, 27, that um, when a person dies, he said, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after death, the judgment. Hallelujah. All right. Okay, let's go. Next verse, verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God. He's talking about believers are kept 
by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So these verses are assuring us of salvation. Amen. That how are we going to be able to have staying power? We are kept by the power of God. Amen. Let's look at this other scripture. In other words, we shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't have a mind that, what if I don't make it? Rather, as you place your faith in Christ, have the confidence that he will keep you by his power. Amen. And ask for his help. There's no need to be afraid or anxious. Okay? This other scripture, second, uh, no, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So he's talking about uh, history. That God in the past spoke to the fathers or the early believers. He talked to them by the prophets. Verse 2. He has in these last days spoken to us by his son. The prophets were messengers of God or servants of God. But now he wants to engage mankind in a higher state. Amen. In a higher realm. You know, like, if you look at the monarchy, right? If you look at it, because God's, God's kingdom is not a democracy. Did you know that? It's not a democracy. So, so, because so, in a democracy, the son means nothing. But if you have a monarchy, the king's son means a lot. Is that not so? Yeah, if you go to uh, England, you know, the princess, when they are about to marry, it's a big deal. In fact, if you look at... Uh, What's his name? Megan's uh, fiancé. What's his name? No, no, no. The um, because Harry and uh, the other one, I keep. M- m- yes. There are about two or three people ahead of him to become king. Is that not so? I mean, Prince Charles is there, and then and then the Prince William is there before you can get to him. But look at even their children. You know the the little children that are born. Even though they becoming a king is very remote in terms of how long it will take, it is a major news, and they are always talking about it. So that should give you a picture of when God is saying, because in our modern U.S. world here, where we don't have a monarchy, we we have lost sight of royalty and the importance of the king's son appearing. But God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He sent his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3. Okay. Describe Jesus as being the express image of God. Go to verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a much more excellent name than they. Hallelujah. Okay. So it's, it's describing what the previous people had versus today. Like the early believers in the Old Testament, they had messengers and servants of God sent to them. But in this new dispensation, in the new covenant, we have God himself come. Because it says that the son, Jesus, is the express, go to verse 3, is the express image. Go back to verse 3. Like the brightness of his glory, the brightness of God's glory. So when you see Jesus, you have seen God. Because Jesus is the expression of God himself. Hallelujah. So, depending upon who, I mean, let's say we are having a, we are having a, a Gabamto Fest or we are having an event, and maybe a mini camp or something, and we have, divi- we have been divided into little, little groups, do you get it, in different rooms. And then, let's say, 
let's say there is a meeting and there's an announcement that needs to go out, right? An announcement that needs to go out. And so, different rooms get a different messenger, right? So, one room, I don't know who is in that room, Bishop Dag sends Apostle Joel to bring the message. Do you get it? And then another room, Bishop Dag sends Reverend Lindsay. Are you with me? Okay. Another room, Bishop Dag sends me. And then you realize that in terms of the hierarchy of who is coming, the thing is going down. And so, when it comes to one room and they send Mr. Jesse, I mean, people are not going to take him serious. He said, oh, believe me, Bishop Dag sent me. Are you there? Bishop Dag himself sent me. He said, Jesse, look, we are serious. We are very busy here. We don't have time to waste our time. But then, how many people know that people are going to likely believe if Apostle Joel shows up that Bishop Dag has sent him? Because he's closer to Bishop Dag. And if he's saying something that Bishop Dag is saying, it's more believable. But Mr. Jesse, we don't even know whether he, know, he knows who Bishop Dag is. The other day, one little child, somebody told me that um, a, a little boy, had, his dad told me that the boy told him, I am Jesus. Me, Gilbert, I am Jesus. <laughs> so, so, so think about it. So, so if, that, if he thinks I am Jesus, if such a person is coming to make an announcement, are you going to take him serious? Are you with me? All right. Okay, let's go to this other scripture, Romans 8, verse 9 to 11. Romans 8, 9 to 11. We are, we are discussing scriptures that are to strengthen us as we get ready to study the last words of the people that died in faith. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's speaking to believers here. If you are in the, a believer, you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Amen. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Hallelujah. Okay? The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. He's talking about when you are a believer, see, your body is part of you, right? But your body is not, is not to be seen outside of your spirit, soul, and body. You are a whole person. Let's add verse 11 to be clearer. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Hallelujah. In preparation, in, in the living out of the Christian life, God is not saying that, look, he's just saying your spirit. But he said that your body is also important to him. Amen. And, and as we prepare and wait for the last hour, he said that even though your body has weaknesses, your body is not left in its weaknesses. Hallelujah. He said that the spirit of God that lives in you is able to energize your, your physical body. Amen. So that God is interested in the whole person, your body, soul, and spirit. So everything that you do in your physical being, it matters to God as well. God is not just interested in you dying and taking your spirit to heaven. Even your spiritual, your physical body can be revitalized by the spirit of God. Amen. One last scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 to 28. 2 Thessalonians 5, 23 
28. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, all right, is that right? If you have it, you can read it. Second Corinthians five, verse. Second Thessalonians, yes. I think I might have. So starting from verse twenty-three, Second Thessalonians five, verse twenty-three to twenty-eight. Now, so this is getting to the end of the apostles' letter. Now, may the God of peace, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now, notice the word completely. Amen. Your sanctification needs to be complete. And what does that mean? That God is sanctifying you completely. There's a semicolon there. And it's there for, it's there for a reason. May your whole spirit, comma, soul, comma, and body be preserved What's the word there? Blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are talking about safeguarding ourselves from backsliding. Is that not so? We are safeguarding ourselves from backsliding. And we are saying that in the Roman scripture, we say your whole being has been saved, right? God, it is God's purpose that even your physical body, which appears weak, will be revitalized and energized. And now, the apostle is emphasizing that when it comes to God's salvation of you and how you should see your salvation and how you should set yourself apart for God, it says that there is complete sanctification. And how are we going to measure your complete sanctification? We are going to measure it in the whole human being. Your spirit, your soul, and your body needs to be preserved blameless. You see, why this is important is that in the early church, actually towards the end of the first century, some teaching came around that the body is sinful and God came to save the, the spirit. And so, all you need to do, believe in Christ, live your life anyhow, because the body is going to be buried anyway. And then, when you die, you go to heaven. In other words, they belittled the importance of the body. Are you there? They felt that God, God has actually excused the body, that the body can do whatever it feels like doing. Amen. But the body is very important because in the end, there is going to be a bodily resurrection. There is going to be... When Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he didn't just rise from the dead spiritually. If he rose from the dead spiritually, that would have been easy to... I mean, not so hard to... You couldn't challenge that. Because you bury this man, and then you go, the body is still there, but you, can, you are saying that he's risen from the dead spiritually. If it's spiritual resurrection, I mean, there wouldn't be a lot of controversy around because you don't need to see anything else because it's a spiritual resurrection. But because it was a bodily resurrection, that is why they couldn't find his body. Amen. And that is why the, the uh, what do you call the, the the soldiers who were guarding the place, after the earthquake and the angel rolled the, 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 the stone away and Christ rose from the dead, they knew that, eh, they are going to lose two things. Number one, their jobs. 
they will be fired from the military because you couldn't guard the body and the body is, is missing. And you have to pray about it, whether it's only your, your, your job you're going to lose. You might also lose your head. And I mean literally. Do you get it? Like you, they will chop off your head. So, but the Jewish people, they had an incentive for keeping Christ dead. Because if he's risen, then it means they were wrong. And they won't accept that they are wrong. So the scripture said they bribed the soldiers to go and say that, to go and say that, uh, whilst we were asleep, his disciples came to steal his body. So it's a, it's a logical, there's a flaw in the whole argument. Because how do you know that his disciples, first of all, let's assume for a moment that his disciples, or somebody came to steal his body. Okay? Maybe you, you, it's a plausible argument if you say that whilst you were asleep, somebody must have come to take him. You don't know that somebody because you were asleep. That one is believable, but if you were asleep, how do you know who came for his body? And if you know his disciples are still him whilst you are asleep, why didn't you catch them? <laughs> Amen. But the scripture says that up to today, many people in Jerusalem still believe that version of the story. Hallelujah. But why am I saying that? I'm saying that the body is important because Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for the body of Christ. If it was a spiritual resurrection, the body was not needed. Amen. And so it will be for all believers. Every believer, no matter where they are, their body would reassemble at the last trumpet. Even though the one that are dissolved at sea, it will reassemble. Amen. And so whilst we are alive, our Christian life and our sanctification includes our body. So, it says that God will sanctify us completely. Completely means in all the three regions of your being. In terms of not backsliding, we ought not to backslide and begin to accept any other standard than the standard of God. Amen. 24. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. We are going all the way to 28. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. We thank the Lord. Now, let's look at a scripture from, from uh, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. We are now going to shift our attention to examples that Bishop gave of people who died in the faith. So, Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Okay? That was the standard of righteousness in the Old Testament. Verse 18, Come now and let us reason together says the Lord. Amen. God is saying, come now and let us reason together. So in other words, God is calling us to a discussion. We are talking about how to avoid backsliding. And God is saying, look, I'm willing to talk. I want us to reason together. I'll bring your mind, bring my, I will bring my mind and we will talk. Talk about what? About your sins. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be what? As white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hallelujah. Then it asks, if you are willing and obedient, you shall, 
the good of the land. So that is the whole point that God does not want any believer to die in their sins. So the provision for forgiveness of sins is there. And if we are confused, God said, come and let us talk. And thankfully we have a good list of testimonies from the sins. Numbers chapter 23 verse 10. He says, let me die the death of the righteous. Hallelujah. That ought to be everybody's prayer. That you don't walk with God all your life and in the end you miss it at the last moment. Okay, the first person that we are going to read his last was is Ignatius. Ignatius lived in 180. He was the bishop of Antioch and a, a personal disciple of John, John the Apostle. He was sentenced to death and as he was dying, his last words were, I thank thee, O God, that thou hast honored me with thy word. Praise God. And then he died. Amen. This is very different from Tom Paine or, or Ingersoll or some of the other people. One guy, he said, can't you see them? They are coming for me. They are coming for me. It's like demons are coming for him. But this is somebody who has walked with God to the end and he's dying in peace. Amen. Father Polycarp, another disciple of John, lived during the reign of Emperor Nero. He was also sentenced to death. He was taken to court. He was given an option to either denounce Jesus or be burnt to death. Polycarp suffered much for Christ's sake. The Roman proconsul commanded him to swear allegiance to Caesar. You see, the reason why the, the emperor was threatened, the emperor was threatened that who are these people who say they have an allegiance to one Jesus who was crucified by the Romans but who is now, they say is risen. And so, they felt that the allegiance to Caesar or people are going to rebel against the king. Amen. But if you look at the apostolic writings, the apostles were always saying, obey those who are in authority. There's nowhere in the scriptures where Christians were being told not to obey the emperor or the, of the ruling governor, several authorities. Hallelujah. But somehow they were threatened. And so Father Polycarp, he was being tried, and they said, swear, and I'll set thee at liberty, reproach Christ. And then Polycarp said, 80 and 6 years have I now served Christ. And he has never done me the least wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my lord? Amen. And then finally, when they, they, let, they, they, they killed him, you know, he was burned. They, they burned him alive, Father Polycarp, disciple of John. These are his words. Oh Lord, Father of the beloved Lord, Son Jesus Christ, I thank thee that thou hast allotted me a place among the martyrs. Look, being burned in big frying oil is not a joke. This is not something you wish for your worst enemy. Amen. But we are talking about a peace that cannot be purchased with money. A peace that people have that as they are dying, you know, because somebody else, they'll be insulting and kicking and because if you are going to die, if they are going to kill you, what else can they do to you? So, so that's your chance to say the wildest insults you, you can say. But this man was at peace. Amen. Augustine Montague Topadley, 1710 to 1778. He'll be famous as the author of the most evangelical hymns of the 18th century, Rock of Ages. He wrote Rock of Ages. Okay. What did he say when he was dying? 
whilst he was um, nearing the end, awaking from sleep, he said, Oh, what delights! Who can fathom the joy of the third heaven? So it looks like he was seeing visions of heaven before he died. Who can fathom the joy of the third heaven? The sky is clear. There is no cloud. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He died, saying, No moral man can live after the glories which God has manifested to my soul. And with those words, he went to be with his Lord. Amen. I think we have three or so more people. William Shakespeare, famous for his place. 1564 and 1616, the world's outstanding figure in literature, of whose life, times, and works, a whole library of books has been written. He lived near his Bible, as you can see from his quotations. His end came when he was only 52 years old. His last will was, that was written in the year he died, revealed his faith in God. These are his words. I commend my soul into the hands of God, my creator. Hoping and assuredly believing through the only merits of Jesus Christ, my savior, to be made partaker of life everlasting and my body to the earth, whereof it is made. Amen. That was William Shakespeare. Now Matthew Henry, if you are familiar with Matthew Henry's uh, concordance, he has a concordance. There's a very good concordance with a commentary on the scriptures written by Matthew Henry. He lived, I actually didn't know he lived that long ago. 1662 to 1714. Okay? These are his last words. A life spent in the service of God and in communion with him is the most comfortable life that anyone can lead in this present world. He was a theologian. He was a pastor in England. And this is John Wesley founder of the great Methodist church. His last words, the best of all is God is with us. Hallelujah. The best of all is God is with us. And then he said farewell and he died. Alright. Adoniram Jackson, he is a missionary to Burma and he was also the first American missionary to Africa. Okay. And whilst he was in Burma, he translated the Bible into the Burmese language. He wrote a dictionary also for the Burmese people. When he was dying, he said, No one ever left this world with brighter hopes or warmer feelings. Don't be afraid. Death will not surprise me. In spite of what I say, I feel so strong in him. Amen. That's, that, is that, is that, is, even though he was weak physically, he said, I feel so strong in Christ. This is the man who had strength when most people are weak. Let's all pray for such staying power. Hallelujah. Oh, let's put our hands together unto the Lord. Finally, I'm going to read the account of Robert Bruce, one of the most distinguished men of his time. He entered the ministry and became prominent in Edinburgh. Okay. At the time of his death, he called for the family Bible and said to his daughter, Cast out to me the eighth chapter of Romans and set my finger on these words. I am persuaded that neither death nor life shall be able to separate me. You know, there's a long list, but he was reading it all. Shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus my Lord. Then Bruce said, Is my finger on them? Yes, said his daughter. Then he replied, 
Now God be with you, my children. I have just breakfasted with you. And I shall soon sup with my Lord Jesus Christ this night. That was his last words. And he breathed his last. Put your hands together to the Lord. Stand up to your feet. Commit yourself to God. Let's ask God for his help. So that we would have a similar ending. Thank you, Father. Take out a good offering. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for this privilege that we get to hear of the account of other people who walk with you and died in faith. Father, may you count us worthy to continue all the way to the last day and to the last hour with our last breath still praising you, still believing in you. Deliver us, O God, from backsliding. Give us supernatural strength to endure whatever we need to endure. And may we live our lives propagating this glorious gospel by which you meant to save the world. We commit ourselves to you and our offerings. May you receive them. May you bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen.